Hey, welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis, Artistic Director of the Farm Theater, and we are at the Southeast Theater Conference. Um, while here, we've done five interviews um, with people, some in front of live audiences, which was a first for us, and it was great. Look forward to sharing that with you. I'm honored to be part of the Southeast Theater Conference this year. It's one of the... Uh, favorite things for me to do every year is to come down to SETC. It's my favorite conference uh, for theater because it merges professional working artists, universities, colleges with early career students looking for their first job, first opportunity. And I find that the community really is here to provide opportunities for one another. Um, you see the kids, there's a job fair, you see workshops, you see them auditioning for grad schools, for undergrad, and for professional work. And I find that the the professionals come are incredibly generous to not only share their knowledge, but create opportunities for the students. And I find the faculty that come to this conference are genuinely looking for opportunities to enhance their programs, to create growth opportunities and make it engaging for them as artists and for educators and to create opportunities for their students and uh, it's just been wonderful and uh, we got to talk to some really great people and I'm thrilled to um, share the first interview which was with Megan Azar um, she is soon to be starting tomorrow the president of the board of SCTC and she also is at Furman University she directed the college collaboration project uh, the Kimberly Bellflowers play John Proctor's the villain um, but I was really fortunate because at the end of the conference or the end of the day today she sat down for an hour to talk with us and uh, just lovely one of the reasons I wanted to talk, not only because she's president of SCTC and because of her great work with John Proctor's The Villain, but also um, her commitment at Furman. And I, when I went down to Furman, I was just struck by how beautiful the town was. And uh, the university is great and her work there is great, but she's also engaged professionally in, that, in the town of Greenville, South Carolina. And... And I wanted to talk about how, you know, just for her to share her journey of how she got there and created this beautiful, balanced life for her. And you will hear her talk about that. And what's lovely in the conversation is how much of it comes back to the Southeast Theater Conference and her original introduction to it as an undergrad. Um, and thank you for tuning in and listening. And I hope you enjoy our chat. And with that, play ball. I will ask because you're going to be what are you going to be president of you're going to be president starting midnight tonight um, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow after the board meeting I'll be president uh, or after the business meeting so do you want to know all about the organizational I don't structure know the organization, but are you president of <laughs> president of SCTC yes so I'll be president of the board of directors of SCTC mm -hmm. and, and, and because I've been bragging about this conference for a while i've been talking about how great it is and it's been not, this is the fifth interview we've done since being here and mm -hmm. i love since coming with uh the college collab and presenting on it just getting i've never seen a conference that's this large and also genuinely oriented towards getting students opportunities professional opportunities not only growth in class and workshops and i also think that the schools I'm giving you a whole commercial press, so you'll invite me back. Um, 
but uh, but that the schools <laughs> seem to come authentically looking for opportunities for them for the programs to grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if I've seen that other place. I've seen people share. You know, they share their papers on ideas and things like that. And is my assessment of it why you want to be president? Or did you want to be president? And the question I was asking before we got on the microphone that I didn't let you answer is, are you excited about it? Yeah, uh, it's funny. So my career in theater really started at SCTC. Um, I mean, I had been doing theater since I was nine as sort of a hobby. Um, And it wasn't really until I got into undergrad and decided to be a theater major, kind of found my home, that um, I started to realize that, oh, I could could do this. And it doesn't necessarily mean I have to go to New York or I have to go do film in LA. Like I can, I can do theater where I am in a way that would make money and sustain me. and where were you under, undergrad? I was at East Tennessee State University. Yeah, and I, I always tell this. This is I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how long and boring you want your stories to be, but We've um, got a, you know it's going to be at least an hour, and right. we edit. So go long, <laughs> go boring. What are people doing right now? <laughs> right, exactly. They've decided to listen to a podcast on how to build a theater career. Uh-huh. They've got time. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Um, I originally went to school to be a forensic pathologist. I was very interested in science, and I wanted to go to crime scenes and, um, you know, investigate the details and find the DNA and solve the crime. That's what I wanted to do. And so I went to East Tennessee State University. Uh, I played volleyball, but I was... uh, very lucky in that I didn't go on an athletic scholarship. I went on an academic scholarship and um, I got into a biology class and I kind of said, oh, I don't know if I like this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) There goes the whole plan. Right, the whole plan. I can't make it out of bio one. No, that's not true. I made it out of bio one, but I also auditioned for a show. Um, in the spring because my mom and I my mom was there I think for like family weekend or something and we saw a show um, that the theater department had produced and it was a Midsummer Night's Dream it was gorgeous it was in East Tennessee State University used to have a theater uh, on the Veterans Affairs grounds that was like an old early 1900s movie theater that had been turned into a, a theater theater and it was just it was just gorgeous and they're doing midsummer and the costume design was fabulous and they're flying the fairies and I was just like whoa this college program like they've got it going on I want to audition you know um, and I auditioned and I was in Godspell and I just kind of found my people um, and also simultaneously, I was in biology too, <laughs> where, you did not where I did people. not find my people. <laughs> and I had a professor that kept writing things like think outside the box when I would answer my biology questions. And I said, well, I think I could think way outside the box. <laughs> Back in that theater over there. Back over there. And I I had a wonderful advisor, and she said she was a biology professor. Her name's Dr. Piles, Dr. Rebecca Piles. And she, um, 
you know, I, th- I was very nervous. I was going into my advisor and I thought, oh, she's going to hate this. It's going to be a hard conversation. And she was like, nope, if that's what you want to do, do it. Um, and so I became a theater major and eventually I stopped playing volleyball because I kept getting hurt all the time. And it was like the perfect storm of, of course, I should be doing theater. And then I came to SETC. And through, through your college because they came here. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Karen Brewster and Melissa Schaefer and Pat Cronin uh, brought me to the convention. And I was like, oh, there's all these other people doing what I want to do. And so I started doing the professional auditions and I did the outdoor theater auditions with the Institute of Outdoor, then drama, now theater, part of SETC now. Um, and I got my first job. And then when it came time to go to grad school, I came to SETC for graduate auditions and I found my graduate program at University of Alabama. It was like the perfect blend of what I wanted to do because I come from a family of teachers. And um, so I always I always had teaching sort of in my blood and I had always supplemented things that I was doing when I was lifeguarding. I was, you know, teaching swim lessons as well and I was teaching and um, at University of Alabama they they advertise that's this we had talked actually and I remember that you went the MA pedagogy yeah that's right so I I was part of the acting pedagogy program there and they and that's what they that's what they offer that's yeah the, that's their concentration yeah, so that that actual focus uh, on pedagogy, they've since stopped offering that program, which was actually a pretty big surprise to me. But at the time, they were one of only three universities in the United States that offered both a perfect professional actor training program and a pedagogy program so you could blend both your development as an actor and artist as well as your development as a teacher. Um, and it was perfect for what I wanted to do. And you knew that then. You, cause it's interesting. Cause I, and did you go right to grad school? I it? did, yeah. I did not take a break in between. I went right through. I think right there's through. a lot of people I was, uh, who, who do it, and they say, oh, I might want to teach. And I think, and, and it's interesting, because one of the artistic associates for the farm is uh, an associate professor at NYU grad acting. And he says, like, yeah, don't, don't say that at NYU. <laughs> right. There are places to do that. Right. You know, and I think it's great that you knew you wanted to do that. And did you, you knew you wanted, did you know at the time you wanted to do simultaneously both careers? I didn't even know that it was an option to do both careers simultaneously until I got a call back from University of Alabama and interviewed with Tisa Garland. And she said, well, yeah, that's what we do. We do it both. I, I am both, you know, a professional actor, professional, you know, fight choreography and a teacher simultaneously. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that was a possibility. And then, <laughs> how long after that program? All right. How, you're at Furman. How long have you been at Furman University? This is my 10th year there. Yeah. Did you go yeah. right out of? <laughs> Thank you for thinking I'm so young. <laughs> <laughs> No, I um, I graduated um, from University of Alabama, and I came back to SETC 
to audition an interview for work. You're like, because that's where it worked last time. That's where it worked last time. And um, I, so I got, I got a couple just like month gig kind of things. And then um, a company who I had interviewed with here, um, but did not offer me a job right away, called me in November, the year after I graduated from uh, University of Alabama, which was 2006. And they said, hey, um, so we really liked you, but you didn't want to do that like short gig. You wanted to do a longer term thing. Well, we have a longer term thing. We want to hire you full time as the education director. <laughs> I just was kind of like, how is this happening? <laughs> you know, and um, my now husband at the time, he was like, well, do you want to move out to California? And I was like, well, I don't know. Let's like, let's see what's happened. We had just moved to Chicago. We were just starting to put down roots in Chicago, get involved with theater there. We were, you know, going auditions, but I had only worked outside of the city the whole time and we had been there. I will ask that question. After grad school, is that where you went? Yeah. Yeah. We, we moved then, up there. And then from grad school, you came here or from Chicago you you I, stopped I, here first yeah I, I stopped so the spring before I graduated I came to SCTC yeah nice. and lined up some gigs we moved to Chicago and and they offered you a short-term gig and you were like no that's not it I didn't gotta. fit with the other short-term gigs I had already accepted that paid better um you know money is yeah. the thing um but yeah once they offered me the full-time gig with benefits and the ability to still act in their company because they had a full-time a full-time education director position plus you know an, a full office staff and a, a company of resident actors and they said yeah you can act in the company you can direct for the season and we want you to be the education director i was like well here it is this is the job this is i'm done <laughs> And I thought I would stay out in California. Um, so my now husband, we packed up all our stuff from Chicago that we had, you know, just moved into our apartment. Basically, I think we were there for like nine months. And uh, then we moved out to California and he got his equity card while we were out there. He worked with Theater Works and California Shakespeare Theater. And, you know, he, he got his equity card and I was working with fully California engaged. Theater Center fully engaged there running a you know 2 million dollar education program and you know do doing that life we loved it and then we started thinking about it's really expensive out here in the bay area and we're never going to be able to own a house and our parents are starting to get older and my my grandparent one of my grandparents was sick and we just kind of always felt like gosh we were we're far we're far from our family cuz both of us grew up in the south and so um i started looking for teaching jobs and i said well you know the next step for me is i want to be a professor so i'll just i'll just do that i'll i'll you know, apply and apply and apply until I get a gig that I really, really like in a place I really, really like. And um, I got an interview at Furman and come to find out I got an interview at Furman because <laughs> I had worked with a Furman alum uh, at California Theater Center. My husband had worked with the same alumnus at Lost Colony a few years earlier, and he had 
I, when I applied for the job, I said, hey, Will, I'm applying for this job. Do you think I would be a fit? His name is Will Lowry. I said, do you think I'm going to be a fit for Furman? And he was like, yeah, you're totally a fit. And unbeknownst to me, he wrote to the faculty and said, you've got to put her in, in your top candidates. Did you know he, he was an alum? I did. I, fa- I found I out. Him. Yeah, like, that's why I called him, because I think I was on Furman's website and I saw a, a, a rendering that he had done in undergrad and he was credited. And I was like, I wonder if that's the same Will Lowry I know. <laughs> like how many how many are there? And right. it's pretty great. And it's great that unbeknownst to you, he was your advocate. Yes. Yeah. And so I got moved to the top of the pile. I I had a very funny interview at Furman because my uh, flight had gotten completely screwed up. I mean, there was a snowstorm, you know, my flights had all been completely messed up. And I, um, I remember emailing with the department assistant, like, I'm trying so hard to get here. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to be right on time, you know, just kind of kept Mickey in the loop. And my, I thankfully had gotten a flight into Charlotte, I rented a car on my own and got myself to my interview. <laughs> and, you know, now the faculty that I'm I'm now colleagues with, they say, like, that was a first indicator. You solved your own problem. You know, you got yourself to this interview. You made an impact almost like nothing had ever happened when you came for your interview. And we, we, had, we had good feelings about you in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're not going to need to take care of this person. Right. They're going to take charge. Mm-hmm. Part of me is going, you know, you also could have looked at that as a sign if they're not going to take care of this person. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now I'm on my own. Now I'm, I'm out here completely on my own. So oh. anyway, then SETC comes back into it, right? So I was coming to SETC in 2010 to help hire new talent for the company I was working for out in California. California. Yep. And I'm sitting at a bar in, you know, one of the convention hotels and I get a phone call from Jay Oni, who's now one of my colleagues saying, we want to hire you. And it was like, here's SETC again, right? That through line to my career. Yeah. It's good. And I like that it, it just to start. I'm going backwards to the very beginning of the fact that it is this through line, but that you found a school, that you found your people, and that the school took. I, I I think it's great. That's one of the things I was talking about the conference, and I'm actually not doing the commercial for the conference, although you're a great person <laughs> to talk about the SCTC. <laughs> but they did bring you, and we were talking earlier. I was talking to somebody earlier about the fact that all these people here at the beginning of their careers, you know, they're going to their first professional audition. They're maybe, but a lot of them are, and they're getting their first job. And some of us who've been doing it for a while are looking going, you know, you have they none of them know what that journey is going to be like. None of them know where they're going to be 30 years from now, you know, uh, and you and they're all hoping they have an expectation of what that's going to be, but they don't know and you're hoping and rooting that everyone has that journey. But I also, I think the thing that's great is it, it does feel, because you come here and it does feel possible, it feels like you're going to get a job. And that one job and that one interview leads you to, you know, leads you across the country and back. Absolutely. And that, that one interview that I had at SCTC with 
California Theater Center where I got a job, but I didn't really want the job. It didn't fit in the job that I wanted. They kept my stuff and they came back to me because I had made an impression on them. And I don't think young professionals necessarily realize that just because you get a no or you have to turn down something initially, there might be more in the pipeline if you continue that relationship. Yeah, and it's funny, one of the people I interviewed in the past, and I'm trying to remember who, but the no, they took the no as being rejected, meaning no isn't no, it means not right now. Mm-hmm. You know, And I also think the idea of you taking care of yourself and saying, no, I've, I need a longer term. I need, you know, I got this other gig that pays a little bit more money, and if, we're, if both are gonna be a month long, I'm gonna go for the month with a little more money. Yeah, you know. yeah, and the way you turn out turn down a job can really make an impact as well if you do it in a way that is, you know, honest and forthright and say, look, it's not it's not that I don't want to work for your company, it's just that I have a, a different, more lucrative opportunity over here. I need to take that right now to take care of myself. That that too can can make an impact. And how how long were you out in the Bay Area? Four about four years, yeah, a little and, more. And you are already thinking at that point to move back to this region, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think when you, did you picture, I, I love, one of the reasons I wanted to talk is because you you actively work, you are obviously a professor and, and do that and work professionally. Yeah. And did you know that was po- as possible as it is where you are when you were coming here? So... At my interview, actually, they were they were pretty good about um, communicating that there was professional work in in the Greenville area where I am, Greenville, South Carolina. And um, my husband Thomas and I, we've always felt like it's not just New York, it's not just D.C., it's not just Chicago that deserve quality theater. It's everywhere in our country that deserves access and opportunity to quality theater. And sometimes that means that quality actors need to go to those other places and, again, take care of themselves by recognizing that I don't do well in New York. I like to visit New York, but that's not a home for me. It's a place that I can go visit and feel excited and rejuvenated, but I like to go to suburbia, <laughs> right? Um, and I know that about myself, and and that's those are the communities I want to invest my time in. And so when I was at my interview, um, you know, they they told me, well, there's the Warehouse Theater, there's Center Stage South Carolina, the you know the Peace Center comes through and brings the big Broadway tours and South Carolina Children's Theater does top quality productions for young people. And and these are other places just locally that you'll be able to work. And we're two or three hours from Atlanta, <laughs> depending if you're in the north side or the south side. Um, and, you know, so there, there are other places that are regionally um, accessible uh, while you're here. And so when, after I had gotten the job, we came out and, you know, we did the legwork. We, when we were coming out to look for housing to Greenville, we went and 
I sent emails and made phone calls to some of the artistic directors and the artistic director at the Warehouse Theater and the artistic director at Center Stage South Carolina took us took me up on the, hey, hey do you want to get coffee? We want to buy you coffee. We want to learn about your theater. And that's how I started to make inroads in a completely new community that I knew no one but the four people that I had interviewed with at the university, you know, and um. And so I started doing, I mean, we did grunt work at these theaters for, for a year because we couldn't go to their auditions right away. And, um, you know, so I ushered and I house managed and I ran the box office. And I'm going to come back to that. Couldn't go to their audition just for clarification because they're already cast. Right. They're already yeah, cast. Yeah. The, you know, next season auditions aren't coming for, you know, so until spring or whatever. Came in and went, how can I help? Yeah. Yeah. And we just we started to get to know the theater community. And, you know, when you do that, people, yeah, they want to get to know you. And I was very clear about saying, like, I don't want to just volunteer my time forever. Like, I want to work with this company and I'm I'm here so I can get to know you all and get to know what you do, what kind of work you produce. And, and, and yeah, and that you think of me right away. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And. When you're sort of put in, when, when did you also, when did you become a director? When did that start happening? Yeah, I had, a, I had directed a couple of things in undergrad, you know, um, you have those student produced things that you get to work on and I, I don't think any of it was good, um, but it was fun, <laughs> um, you know, and I had directed a couple of um, like children's theater shows um, when I was in graduate school in the summer. And, um, but it wasn't until I really worked with California Theater Center that I sort of developed a process and understood what interested me as a director. And working with kids and young people, you really learn how to communicate. I think that any director should really work with young people because you learn how to clarify language very quickly. Um, you know, you learn how to explain things in multiple layered ways for the students who might be visual learners versus the students who are, you know, kinesthetic learners and have to like actually walk the floor with you to to figure out where they're going. And, and you know, I, I worked with lots of students who um, were English speakers as a second language when I was in California. I worked with students with autism and um, I really came into my own about understanding what excited me about telling a story and how to clarify my concept in a way that, you know, could I could work with designers and I could, um, you know, get get students excited and then being able to work with professionals on children's theater again, you know. When, when you work in children's theater, you learn how to entertain adults as well as entertaining the kids in the audience. Because let me tell you, if the adults aren't entertained, they're not bringing their child to see that show. And so you have to learn how to direct for both while, you know, you doing... Children's theater is very much, you know, Shakespeare. You got the groundlings, you got the other people right. you got to do it all. Yeah, you've got to be able to access all those groups and they have to be able to access the work and... And I also learned a lot about development at that company, um, you know, how to educate our patrons on what we do, um, what what's valuable about theater 
which I think also helps me as a director to be able to... When um, you said development, you meant audience development, financial development, grant writing development, what kind of development? Audience development, a um, bit of fundraising development, yeah, thinking. but... But not no, not so much grant writing. I didn't. I I still don't do much of that ex- unless it's for my own grant, and then I got to get somebody to help me with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that audience development piece. Um, you know, it's more than just community outreach. It's you know really listening to the audience about what they want, how 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 do they want to be involved with your process and once you begin to bring them into your process, you begin to develop patrons that want to invest in the next show, um want to invest in sending a student through the conservatory, whatever it might be, but that that's that's a far more layered um part yeah. of theater. Yeah, I'm going to ask about that because I think when you talk, you know, it's got to be part of, at this conference, just part of talking about the university is clearly talking about your process. But because I think for people who are running their own companies, hmm. how do you bring them into your process? What When you think about the children's theater that you were doing, how, how would you, because it's obviously the parents you're bringing in. Sure. So how are you bringing them into it? You know, we did a lot of... Um, I would say we did a lot of uh, like engagement opportunities. We do, um, you know, we do talkbacks. Certainly, that's an interesting thing. But we would also have nights where we would let the parents come and do, you know, workshops and exercises with their child, who maybe their child had been in a conservatory or a class, or um, maybe they had only been to see a show and they wanted to get involved. And so we would do, you know parent-child activities um, in order to kind of help them um, get familiar with um, the show that we were working on. Um, you know, we we would have opportunities for parents to come and work side-by-side uh, side with their student at conservatory, um, you know, come and see the process of a rehearsal so it wasn't just like you're dropping your kids off all day and go away right <laughs> right you're involved in what they're doing but also you're aware of what they're doing and yeah. if you see the kid engaged and light up or or even lead you in Absolutely. the exercise all of a sudden you're, you're like oh i'm gonna spend my time and money there my, yeah my yeah kid's blossoming yeah, and it's, you know, it's relational, too, talking to the parents about what excites their kid, um, talking to them about, you know, ways that they can volunteer for an organization, or maybe they maybe they can't do something where they come, you know, work with us at some, you know, envelope licking, stamp <laughs> sticking time, but they can, you know, they can do stuff at their own house um, to, to invest in, in the company. And, you know, I think when I worked with children's theater, I got a better idea of what parents have to do to maintain their careers as well as, you know, raise an engaged child. Um, and so that, you know, that's, I'm, I now am a parent, and that's at the forefront of my mind, too, when I'm, you know, working with SCTC, for sure. Um, but when I'm working with colleagues at, at our university, you know, oh, you're a parent. You have different stressors in your life. What, what can we do to help with those kinds of things? 
it's it sounds like and you know it's funny the SCTC and that start and all that work the work you were talking about about engagement is really interesting to me because I think when you're talking about anything when people are starting to invest their time or their money in a college program or a training program it's like come and find out why it's valuable mm-hmm. and when you said engage in our process it's like I, I think people don't understand how important there's now there's now a lot of that in theaters where people are bringing people into the rehearsal process and they're yeah trying to figure out how to collaborate with the communities through that and I think it's not because the theater is yeah, I think it's because they want to know that it's, we're creating a dialogue and it's humanity and we're we're all working together to build something. And, and when people feel a part of that, they want to, they then want to participate and support at whatever level they can. Right, yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah, and it's not always financial support. I think I think some theaters can can get hung up on that, you know, that donation, right? But an investment of time is just as valuable. Yeah, I somebody who's running a theater company. It's like anybody who shows up for me, whether they say you know they will literally sit at the door and check off reservations for a reading, it is the most valuable thing in the world. It relieves all my stress, (laughs) and and it's yeah, and that's incredibly valuable. To that point, I'm like I'm incredibly grateful, and I'll so if you're listening, I'm incredibly grateful, (laughs) and uh, I will want to do anything for that person. And they're doing it because they're supporting what we're doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the other things is board development. Um, I think one of the things that artistic directors don't necessarily realize when they become an artistic director of a nonprofit theater is how crucial board development is to an organization's livelihood. And I see that on the other side now because SCTC is a volunteer board, right? I mean, we have an executive director, an executive director and Susie Pruder and, you know, a team of central office staff that are paid. Um, But then there's, you know, a 21 voting member board who are volunteers and hundreds of advisory councils and committee chairs who you know, also help to make the organization run. And that is all volunteer. And so, you know, those those people have to be cultivated as well. And um, now that, well, I say now, but I'm, I'm the vice president of administration currently for SETC and um, board development is always on our mind. Where's where's the next leader going to come from? Because there has to be something left when you're done with your term of service. Right. right? That's, that's the thing is actually cultivating the next level of leadership. It also has to be in your while you're doing the job. Who's going to do it after me? And it's so funny. I'm hearing all the success to cut back to SETC. So I'm like, oh, well, there's not a reason why you wouldn't want to be the president. But there is an investment of so much time that, yeah, my question is, like, why what, why invest in this giant organization outside of, say, your university and your individual career? Because I, I think it's great. So I'm, I'm just curious what motivates, what is them? Because it's got to be time consuming, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's not, the convention's once a year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so I came to SCTC because it was good for me personally. You know, what was I going to get out of it? 
Right. And now the question for me more at the end of the day is what am I going to leave behind? And (laughs) I was joking with my students uh, maybe earlier today. And I said, hey, you know, this is this is great. Um, that I'm taking on new leadership. And I know that, you know, that that might take some time away from you guys, but think about all these connections that I'm making. And, you know, I had a student who I was like, you're a lighting designer. I've got a friend who's looking for lighting designers. I ran into that friend and got them connected. And, you know, I have an alumni who's in drama therapy and I have a current student who's interested in drama therapy. And here we are in the same place. Um, And so some of it is legacy. You know, I'm not going to be here forever. And somebody's got to be doing theater when I'm not. And and. Also, I'm going to say the legacy, because that, that time's not coming anytime soon. I mean... No, I'm not going anywhere, Pat. Anytime soon. We've heard, we've heard that. I mean, I mean, may not have been direct from undergrad to grad, but, uh, or grad school to Furman, but, uh, but it is true, and that it is great about the... I think about the legacy, it's funny. I think every now and then people ask me why I teach, and I, <laughs> I make a joke that I just don't want to go see bad plays. So I want people to be good at theater. Hey, same difference. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, I want, I want people to be good. But it is... It's interesting you say legacy, because I think, I think there's a legacy, uh, but there's also this generosity of knowing that, like, somebody connected you... Yes. And, and it's returning it back and putting that in the forefront of like, if somebody brought me here oh, yeah. to make that opportunity, I, I have the same, and you don't, I don't want to say this in a, in a you, you don't need, you're not in a place where you need that opportunity. Right. You know, and when you don't need that, then reach back and help the next person. Yeah, definitely. And SCTC is an organization that has a wide I mean, a huge national presence. Um, You know, the fact that I got a job in California here and, you know, we've got students who are getting work up in New York because of connections they've made here. And the other thing is that we're in a time in our country where there are people who are underprivileged in our society. And SETC is a place where we can we can be broader even in that scope, Um, you know, in terms of equity, diversity and inclusion. I mean, those are words that are bandied about, but they're they're real. They're real principles. And being able to use SETC as a way to give people access to theater, I think, is an incredibly important part of legacy, Um, you know, and yeah, had had my professors not said, hey, come along, you know, we want you to be involved. And had, you know, I not said to my students, hey, we're going to go to this conference, you know, they would have missed opportunities. And I think that's one of the big things that SCTC does is it creates opportunities for people. And the more and more we think about who needs access, who are we not reaching? How can we reach them? How can we make it available to them? Those are the things that I think are 
going to last and um, create a you know more inclusive environment all over the place for theater all over the country. No, I, I agree. It's actually, I was just talking to John Eisner, who runs the Lark Theater in New York, and he was talking about uh, they have a job posting and they have to keep it open for 90 days, I think. And I was like, wow, that's, you're going to get so many applications because a lot of people are going to want to work there. And what he said that I thought was a great, great way when you said, who are we not reaching? He said, oh, it's great because in the first month of applications, we can see who we're not reaching. And I thought, it's such an, because usually you have a problem, you want to solve the problem, you've posted about the problem, right. you know, <laughs> and you want to fix the problem because somebody's leaving, or or you've grown and you need a new position. And I thought it was such a healthy thing and, and, and self-aware and allied position. I mean, John's great and an advocate for playwrights, and nobody's going to question that, but I, and I shouldn't have been that surprised, but I thought... My first impulse was, oh, the inundation of applicants. And, and when he told me the, the value of it was, yeah, because then the second month we can target yeah. who didn't apply. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's great. And then, as you're talking about it for SCTC, like who's not coming? We just, I've had a couple, I've interviewed um, uh, a couple of the people for inclusion at this conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talked about access and inclusion and how are we, how are you doing that? And how is, you know, what is that? It was interesting. Uh, afterwards, uh, Ashley Latimer spoke mm. at the keynote. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk a long time on this podcast, Patrick. It's all right. Uh, um, <laughs> it's your podcast. <laughs> but I, uh, but I, I saw afterwards, there were two students on stage. I just wanted to go up and introduce her because she was introduced myself because she was going to do the interview the next day. And we'd mm-hmm. only been through email and, and it was interesting. There was two students, and she turned her back from the crowd. There was a whole crowd of young people who wanted to talk to her because she's so active on Twitter and yes. so good at it. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I said, oh, who is she talking to? And they said two kids who had gotten a scholarship or something, and they were being treated, and they had won some award. And I, and I thought, great, I am not interrupting that. These kids came for this event. Right. And she yeah. made a point of turning so that they didn't have any awareness that the, or she didn't also have an awareness mm-hmm. that there was 30 people waiting right. to talk to her and it was great to yeah. watch that spirit of generosity yeah yeah um this is the question that you asked me about before but over all this time of doing this uh, what what do you carry into the room today that you may not have when you were starting and, and I could say starting can be, or what do you carry into the room today? And it doesn't have to be when you were starting. It doesn't have to be, you know, University of Alabama or after. It can mm-hmm. be whatever that means to you. Yeah. I've been thinking about this question, and I don't know that I have a good answer, except that, like, I'm a mom and a wife. Um, and I think about that a lot as an artist and how that's changed me. As an artist, I would never be this quick to tears before I had my son. <laughs> I mean, I think it's opened up a part of my artistic spirit that I I knew existed, but I don't think I had tapped into quite yet. Um, and that, uh, I think one of the other things that a lot of parent artists deal with is that, um, particularly for me, but 
after I had my son, my husband and I had kind of this huge awakening, I think, because we realized that theater has to be a part of our lives. That, you know, now there are so many struggles with having to balance schedules and figuring out, you know, are we doing the right thing for our son if we have to be away at night? And, you know, how can you take a gig now? Can I take this gig, you know, at this time? And how are we how are we managing just that? Right. And but the fact that we have to do theater because it actually fulfills us. Um, and again, like we want our son to be around these people. That uh, being married and having a, a son and opening up the vulnerability and that. But I also love just saying that we recognize we have to do theater because I think I think coming to coming to terms with that problem. <laughs> It's very important right. because it comes along with it, it. It defines what's meaningful to you, and it becomes because there are things that are probably obviously like your family's number one priority, right? And then, but there is a number two priority, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you can't. And I think it's important to figure out. Like you started asking, and I think everybody has to ask the question on a different level wherever they are, of like okay, what work do I need to do so I can do this work? How do I balance this so I can do this? And and it becomes priority because certain things go away. You can't do if you're going to do that. Right. You know, and I think it's vitally important. I think it also comes down to another thing that I value so much more my artistic integrity now in a way that I didn't when I was younger. And perhaps that comes with the privilege of being financially stable as well. But I find myself really making a choice about what projects I want to work on now, because I've, I really believe that you have to have space to create, which, and, and I'm not talking about physical space. Right. I'm talking about the mental space and capacity to create um, as an artist. And now that, now that I am in a place where I am financially stable and I have my heart to take care of, um, I, I'm very choosy about projects that I work on now. Um, and they have to inspire me in some way. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to just take a gig to take a gig so I can be on stage or I'm not going to just direct a show that I don't believe in the message anymore. Um, you know, I, I will legitimately say to people if they ask me to work on a project I I really want to read that script first I you know and it's more than just I have a lot going on it's I value my voice as an artist so much more now and so if it's not you know a project that I want to work on for whatever reason I won't yeah I think it's I think a clearing the space is good and it's very funny I'm thinking you know, will I read a script? Sure. If people want to get together and just reading it, we're friends and you're writing a new right. play or something. Will I commit yeah. to directing your play? It's it going to depend. Feed me. <laughs> but when you were doing it, one of, the, one of the reasons, first of all, where you live is so beautiful that there's this part of me when you were talking about being financial, you know, I'm financially stable, and, you know, mm-hmm. because you're teaching at university and it's uh yeah and i think about like when people early career artists you know you didn't know that you were 
going to go from Chicago to California to here. That wasn't the plan. Right. But as people think about a lifestyle that they want, just this idea of living in a place where you can teach, you can work professionally, you can, I'm not going to say pick and choose everything because you may not have control over everything that gets offered. Right. You know, but you you do get to breathe enough to say like, oh, I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And that's enough. And and I think it's amazing that that's that just to just to for me to just say that that's part of the lifestyle that I think that I really wanted to have part of the conversation. Part of the reason I wanted to have the conversation is because I think it 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 seems healthy. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and I think no matter if you love New York or you love Chicago or you love uh, Greenville, right? Uh, you can you you pick where you want to be and you can build that life that you want. And I think people need to know. That it doesn't. It was one of the things that also Nicole talked about was, you know, to. to I mean, she was talking about it in terms of racism and self story, and mm-hmm. you know, but but find the environments where you want to be. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's vital. Um, yeah, I. There's a. There's two phrases like sort of sayings that have always bothered me. One is if you can't do teach, that's bullshit, because. Teachers work harder than anybody else in this country. And then professors who are also still active professionally because it is a research requirement of their institution or simply because they love it. Which reason enough. Right. I mean, they're they're doing all the time. So that phrase has always just rubbed me raw. Well, it rubs me raw, too, because I teach a lot. Yeah. I'm also directing... Uh, very funny. I have no idea when the podcast is going to be released, but I'm but I'm but I'm teaching at Shenandoah University, and I was talking to my friend who teaches there full time because mm-hmm. I'm there d- directing, and I thought, oh, when you're directing at a college, you're you're not rehearsing as many hours, but you're working so much harder <laughs> because you have to because you're teaching while you're directing, yes, and you're also you're also teaching. I mean, we have a very good stage manager, but you're teaching the stage manager a little bit about what more you need. You're yep. teaching the props person about what you need, mm-hmm. you know, while you're doing the work. Yeah. And, and there are two things happening at the same time. So, no. But I'm also glad you said that it's, I don't know if we got the second saying. I hope you remember it. Oh, I do. I'll ask you that in a second. But one of the reasons I also wanted to talk to you is because we, years ago we used to do this bullpen sessions live with like 20 people in mm-hmm. the first college collab reading in new york i thought oh i'll get the three uh faculty members who are also professional artists to talk about being an artist in academia uh-huh. and we had two people sign up huh. and i thought <laughs> oh you're an early career artist you're thinking I'm in New York. I'm pursuing, which is also why I went to the podcast because I want to reach people outside of New York. Yeah, but, yeah. But you're thinking like, no, I just came here to start this journey. I'm not thinking about teaching. And I thought, wait, you should hear what the life is like. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because it's it looks pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the second saying is jack of all trades, master of none. Also bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think about like really quality theater artists. We have to be able to do multiple things. Right, master of many. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you know, here, 
right? Actor, director, playwright, teacher. I mean, I'm just thinking about all these things that so many people do. And it's it it builds a life in the theater. I mean, it's one of the things that I value so strongly about our program at Furman because we're teaching students to have a life in the theater. And that also means not just a singular path because you're going to take many, many sh- turns. Yeah, you don't know where it's going. Yeah, and so you have to be prepared. And even if it's, you know, that one scene design class you had in undergrad that m- makes it so you can get a job in a in a scene shop somewhere. I mean, you you're you're making a life for you like yourself. That one scene design where you're going to be designing the children's theater play. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Um yeah, no, it's true. And, and 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 we do do. Everybody does everything. So the idea that you're master of done, it's funny. I was just that's why I stopped you to to unpack how you build engagement with an audience on a theater company because you sure. you know, you're leading you're through doing that work, you're learning how to build an organization. Yeah. And then, you know, and it's indirectly all of a sudden you're not only are you sharing it with your students at the university, but you come here and then you're you're able to identify, well, oh, how do I talk to that person to make them understand why it would be valuable to spend time at Furman. Right, yeah. yeah. Or wherever. Mm-hmm. And to be... It's so funny. I want to ask about John Proctor as the villain, but I don't have to. But uh, <laughs> since you dur- I don't have to because I've talked about it. I'm proud of the play. But one thing that I did want to talk about is when you did the play, which I loved, uh, that's the John Proctor's Villain College collab play that mm-hmm. Kimberly wrote. And, you know, it's about growing up in the Me Too and then what I loved is every night there was a talk back yeah. and on a different, and it seemed that you picked different themes and topics about it. And I really appreciated it because it felt like uh, the play is great. Obviously it's getting done other places and that's yeah, good. And it's wonderful. Spoke on its own merits on the, on the issues of the play, but I liked that you highlighted everything. And what do I want to ask? I want to say, do you do that with every play? Or is that when you were talking about your mission and why you get clarity of why you're doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Is there six different thematic talkbacks for every play? No, no. That particular play was in the zone? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think when I choose to direct a work, um, sometimes it's... Uh, because of the issues that are addressed in a work. Um, When I joined the college collaboration, I had no idea (laughs) what the play would be. But I mean, as soon as I read the play for the first time, I knew that it was a play that college students needed to engage with, um, that our community members needed to engage with. And Um, I had a student at the time uh, who was very interested in social justice work um, and community engagement. And so um, we crafted a position for her on the show, which was, you know, community engagement manager. And um, she and I worked together with our dramaturg, uh, one of my colleagues, Caroline Davis, who's also a former student. on what are the themes that we want to address um, that we feel like the the student body at Furman might need to, a space to talk about. 
And then we tried to make sure that we had experts there to talk about it. Because, you know, that's the other thing about being a theater artist. We do the research and we learn a lot and we get very show specific. But we're not therapists. We're not, you know, um, many times we're not community organizers. Many times, you know, there are people who are way better at talking about feminism than I am, even though I'm a feminist, right? Way better. We need Title IX specialists and have some of those conversations conversations and we need sex ed specialists to have conversations and so you know we we just started brainstorming all these ways that we could go we had a huge list and then we just started you know tapping our resources who in our community do we know that could have these conversations and are they available and that's how we landed on the topics we landed on well, yeah, it was great. It was so thorough, and it was a, it's like a 360-degree look at the issue. For I thought, I thought, wow. I, w- I mean, I liked the play a lot, but I thought if I was in that community, I would go more than once to that play because I'd want to hear the topic, right? Because each night was a different topic, and I, yeah. I just appreciate it. And I and I think what you were saying is, yeah, we do the play, and we, but that one, that one did create room for more like it wanted to create space for people to talk about things yeah and we don't do that for every show but i think when we work on a show at Furman that we feel like has topics that might need to be unpacked we do we we work with our resources on campus and 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 try to provide that that engagement that access for our students um because theater can be educational in in many 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 ways and on that, I'm my final question, because I'm going to be educational and respectful <laughs> Thank you. Um, of your time, is what, what advice would you... I, it's interesting. I like to ask, what advice do you have for someone starting out in this career? Or what advice would you give to yourself, you know, the 22-year-old? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to go with the, what advice would I give someone else starting in the career? <laughs> It's funny, I'm very self-aware about how I was as an undergrad, and I was I had that Irish temper like nobody's business, so I, I've, I've grown from that. I don't, I don't know anything about it, Megan. <laughs> right. Um, I think that uh, my biggest advice, and that has served me very well in my career, is um, re- build relationships with people. Um, we hear so many buzzwords about networking and yes, networking is important and you know, that can mean lots of different things, but I think when you're talking about leadership, leadership is all about relations, um, relationships that you build with people um, and doing it in a genuine way. I think that one of the best things I've ever done is I've never changed my cell phone number. <laughs> Because, you know, I'll give my number to somebody and I'll say, you know, or I have it on my resume and I hope that maybe somebody will contact me and reach out to me. Or, you know, I have friends who I went to undergrad with who I can still say, well, I've got the same phone number, <laughs> you know, just reach out to me whenever you need something. And and it's really served me well because getting to know people personally um getting to know what makes people tick, what excites people, it becomes a common language that you develop with people. Um, You know, I think 
my involvement with the college collaboration is very indicative of that. I mean, you know, Matthew and I met because Matthew had done the external eval at my my university and he introduced me to you and we got involved and started talking and just knowing who each other were in more than just that superficial networking kind yeah, of yeah. level, I think makes such an impact. And that's how you build your future collaborators. Right. That's the person who's going to write you the letter to yeah. say, write the letter for you to say, hey, she's one of you. Yeah. And that, I think the other thing that we kind of get wrapped up in when we're young is that like, oh, we're going to network at the bar. And that's that's not that's not relationship building. That can be a very superficial, you know, just passing your business card out kind of thing. But the relationship building is the follow through. It's the, hey, I need help in this area, or I want to talk to you. I've got a student who's interested in play development, or, you know, I've I'm interested in doing something. I I would love to work on a new play. You know, whatever it is, but it's that deeper, it's that next step that that really makes a sustainable career. Yeah, building those next step relationships. Oh, that was great. It was our last of our conversations we'll share others with you in a couple of you know I don't know if it'll be a couple of days or if I'll regular schedule maybe a week apart um, but it was so nice to end the the conference talking to Megan about the idea of genuine authentic relationships and building deep you know sincere relationships and she talked about obviously you heard like how those relationships turned into jobs and a career and a life for her but I, I also like the idea of, you know, the networking where you're passing out the business card is one thing and you're going to the bar, but it's that real thing where you're getting to learn what excites somebody, what moves them. And it was interesting, her reference, what she shared was, you know, then you can call on that person and say, oh, I need help. And I thought, right, because you know who you connect to and who you share a value system with. And that's where the relationships are going to be built. And it And sitting in a in the chair and talking with her, she talked about why we did the college collab together and how we met and how Matthew Halleck from Center College introduced us. And instantaneously, it was clear that we share the same values on what issues are important and the value of theater and the value of play development and the commitment to creating opportunities for students. And all of that was there. And it was it, it was such a pleasure to get to work with her, but it was really generous to talk to her and I'm thinking about the those relationships as one of the reasons why I like coming to the conference is there's so many people here which is nice we're all looking for uh, opportunities for, to create for other people but when Megan and I were walking down to do where the recording is we were trying making a joke about the West Wing thing where you have these spontaneous meetings because we would meet and stop and one of us would see somebody we knew and have a conversation and none of them were very short they, or they were always but they weren't long but they were they, they weren't just hey how are you they were oh I need to talk to you about this thing and and it was people that you had a genuine connection with it wasn't just a it wasn't a hit and run and I, I appreciated it because I thought, all oh, right, that's what people are here are looking for at Southeast Theater Conferences. They're looking for, like, oh, I've got this real 
I've got this project I want to do for my campus, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about it, or I have sabbatical coming up, I have this project, and I'm wondering, you know, do you want to partner on it, or do you know someone where it would be good to do it? <laughs> and with Megan, the last stop with a student checking in to say that she had her best audition she'd ever had, she didn't get a call back from any of the jobs but she said she felt the most comfortable of all of her auditions and she said that was you know that was her goal and just checking in like that and knowing that when she talked about relationships and it being real and being sub substance is that is what's going to build the career and that's what's going to build your life and i am you know i'm grateful for that because it's it's true when i look back on all the directing i've done and all the theater making it's basically with people that i have a real long-term relationship with and a, one with great foundation and uh i'm grateful for right now as i'm wrapping up the first interview grateful for my relationship with matthew halleck at center college who when i said i was invited to do this went to his college and got the equipment and they just donated it to him they gave it to him and brought it so that we could record and uh student jillian crotch is the sound engineer and been here for all five interviews and making it happen and that that just came out of our the relationship i have with matthew and center college and really modeling what megan was talking about um i look forward to sharing the rest of the interviews we've had and uh, at southeast theater conference and thank you for listening and we're out.